but I'm a great believer in the power of constraints to create. There's loads of evidence for this as well, like, you know, reducing time, reducing resources actually sometimes gives you great outcomes. I've seen many, many cases where a problem that people have been trying to solve, if they'd had a two hour meeting and just talked about it, they wouldn't have got to the solution. But you could have an eight minute exercise that's got a set of steps that you go through and you can get to the solution. And I think that often people don't see how much potential there is there in their people and they think that adding more time helps. And often it, it is the opposite. It, it slows it down. It makes it feel like a drag. And, and at the end, you may not even get to where you need to get to. And I tr- truly believe if humanity could solve the problem of bad meetings, the bane of many people's lives, this is like world changing. Are you sick of the sight of your screen? Would you gladly not spend another minute in a virtual meeting if you can help it? Yet you know they're so convenient that some of your meetings and interactions are never going to go back to the way they were before COVID. Can you see the potential benefits of the new ways of virtual and hybrid working, but you're sick of being stuck in meetings where most people have their cameras off and you know they're just taking the time to catch up on their emails rather than do the difficult work of making decisions building relationships, or just getting things done. Now, love them or hate them, virtual meetings are here to stay. Even if you're back seeing patients or clients face-to-face, during the pandemic, we realised just how convenient, effective and time-saving virtual meetings can actually be. So why is it that we're longing for the days when face-to-face meetings were the norm rather than the exception? And how can we make virtual interactions and meetings as good as or maybe even better than face-to-face interactions. In this episode, I'm joined by John Monks, a facilitator, team coach, and author of a new book all about how to design better online meetings and interactions. He strongly believes in the power of good online meetings and actually thinks they can be designed to be even more effective in some instances than getting together face-to-face. Let's face it, most of our meetings are badly run, and our massive time saps. But by spending just a few minutes before the meeting, thinking about what type of meeting it is, who's going to be there, and what you want to achieve, you can design an experience which is way better for everyone. In healthcare, we urgently need to spend more time building good relationships and reducing the isolation, which can come through working on the front line in this post-COVID world. And we need better team meetings where we can support each other and solve the wicked problems of workload stress and burnout. This episode might just help you do both. So listen if you want to know the difference between a meeting, a presentation and a workshop and why we get this so wrong. How to design an online interactional meeting which energises and infuses rather than drains and demotivates. And why giving people simple exercises with limits and boundaries in meetings can improve problem solving and creativity. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and busy professionals in healthcare and other high stress jobs who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr. Rachel Morris, a former GP, now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in resilience at work. Like frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, many of us have found that exhaustion and stress are slowly becoming the norm. But you are not a frog. You don't have to choose between burning out or getting out. In this podcast, I'll 
I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this and inviting you to make a deliberate choice about how you will live and work. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash getyourlifeback. It's fantastic to have with me on the podcast, John Monks. Now, John is a facilitator. He's a team coach. He's the founder of the creative leadership company called Curve. And he's also the author of a book called Closer Apart, which is about designing and facilitating better workshops online. Something we all need, John. Absolutely. So it's brilliant to have you here. The reason I thought it'd be really good to have you on the podcast is not all of my listeners are having to design and run workshops online, but almost everybody is in meetings and almost everyone is now having to do virtual meetings. Even if we're back at work with our colleagues face-to-face, seeing patients face-to-face, seeing clients face-to-face, a lot of us are still got this hybrid meeting, you know, patients on the phone or by video. And often our meetings now are, are run via Zoom or Teams or whatever. And that seems to be the norm for many people. Are you finding that in, in other organisations, not just healthcare? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm finding it in, in basically every organisation, even ones like healthcare, where there is um, quite a lot of face-to-face work, which, which happens. The, the norm, I think, for many of the kind of busy, stressed people that, that listen to your podcast is there are an awful lot of Teams and Zoom and Hangouts meetings. And one of the things I think contributes to that busyness is, you know, the sensation of looking at your Outlook or your Google Calendar and finding there's no windows in between either your face-to-face consultations, which uh, many of your audience have, but for many of the professionals I work with, it's literally all meetings. And one of the things that's even more interesting and an even greater opportunity for us to think about now is, is this hybrid world where you get the, the extraordinary situation where people travel, go into the office and then plug into a computer and plug in their headphones and dial into a meeting as though they, as though they weren't in the office. So there's, there's things which have been discovered through the, the unfortunate period of the lockdown that I think is the foundation for what I, I believe very strongly is like the future of how People get together online to do stuff that is more fun, more efficient, more sustainable, and actually just gets gets the busyness into something which is positive. It's interesting. I was meeting a colleague for lunch yesterday in, in, in their office area. There's lots of different offices and there are all these new little pods being put up. So you can see all these people sat in there with, with headphones, just like we are sat here now recording the podcast with headphones, talking to people that are in the office, but that's still online. And... And isn't that crazy? What's the point of somebody getting up, spending money, burning carbon and going to sit in what's basically a little kind of windowless, airless, almost like a coffin inside their office when they could be like you and I are right now sitting in the comfort of their own home with 
the kettle downstairs and, you know, you've got benefits there. And that's before you think about the kinds of situations where people have got maybe an accessibility need that they have to contend with or they've got caring responsibility. In a minute, I'd love to ask you that sort of office versus home dilemma because it, it is a real dilemma. There's, there's absolute benefits to both. Obviously, a lot of my listeners don't have any choice. You, you can't actually perform an operation at home. Actually, I say that you probably could if the patient was there and you had a robot. But at the moment, most of us have to actually see our patients to, to you know, do any practical procedures. But first of all, John, I'm really interested in how you got into all of this. How did you get into looking at virtual meetings and virtual workshops and thinking, actually, we could improve this? So if I kind of wind back through the, the journey of my life, I, you know, like you, I'm a coach. I actually kind of fell into coaching as something that I observed I was doing anyway through my job in the same way. So I trained as a coach maybe 15 years ago or so. Um, I've been working as a change management consultant, so working in organizations, some in healthcare, some in kind of public sector like police, in big private sector organizations like Coke. And in those, I was running a lot of workshops as a, as a way to understand what people needed. And the two of those things came together in the last few years thinking, well, actually, there's something about this intersection of bringing people together and using coaching techniques, which at the heart of them help people understand what they can do and give them the confidence to then go and do it. And so I put these two ideas together to, to form Curve, which is my creative leadership company. And, and what we do is we, we help people to do what, what they may think to be impossible. We do that through running workshops and coaching teams. If I kind of wind back to 2018, 2019, we'd been doing almost all of our work face to face, you know, going into meeting rooms, going around the world, bringing people together to normally come up with ideas or, or solve problems. So creating visions, creating strategies, dealing with problems that they had. And we'd started to do quite a bit of work online, but it was really seen as the only if you have to. It was very much the second best situation. And, it, and we encountered an awful lot of, yeah, it's not really possible. You know, you can't do online what you could do in, in the room. Like you, you can't do the water cooler moments. It's impossible to really connect. You can't co-create effectively. That was the narrative that was, that was going around lots of what's not possible thinking, which grated on me as a coach. Cause I'm, you know, I, I believe anything is possible. If we, if we, as human beings put our minds to it, you know, we can do incredible things. So come the start of the pandemic, when everyone locked down, all of those, what's not possible was just blown apart. You know, it turned out that it was possible that all of the IT was sufficient, that in a situation where you couldn't say, well, we have to get together in person. People found ways to do it. So it kind of, it was a brilliant unlocking of possibility at that moment and a product that we'd already created, which was training people to facilitate online, which had been really very, very rarely taken up by people because they thought, well, why would you bother? Suddenly became our, you know, our top selling blockbuster product because everybody wanted it. So that was, that was the, the the journey that took me to facilitating online. And then through that period, 2020, 2021, what, what came apparent to me was that not only could you do everything that you, and I mean everything, like literally everything you could do in the room, you can do online. All of that stuff that people thought isn't possible is you can arrange to eat together if you wish. You can arrange to have sidebar conversations if you wish. All of that 
with preparation and planning is doable. So what that journey did was get me to the point of, oh, this is a huge opportunity moment for humanity, actually, to, to be able to truly bring people together to come up with you know, new ideas and solve problems. And, you know, what, what more pressing need to solve problems was than the pandemic? So, so we, at that point, Lizzie, my business partner, and I said, well, you know, we know all of this stuff. What can we do to get it to as many people as possible? And that was the start of writing Closer Apart. Wow. So like you said, loads of advantages of the online environment. I think loads of disadvantages as well. I think we'll, we'll get that to that in a minute. Did anything change in what you were teaching in your course about facilitating online? So you, you already had that, that there in, in your back pocket and people were using it a little bit before the pandemic. What did you realise and learn during the pandemic that might have changed what you were teaching? Yeah, well, it, it was a lot of things that that were always possible, but we discovered, you know, were actually pretty easy. So if you remember the last time that you and I spoke, both of us were out walking, you were able to get into nature. That's, you know, I'm a true believer that that is a great way to stimulate your creativity, but it's also a super way to relieve stress. And think about the platform we're on right now, or, or Teams or Zoom, or, or even just a WhatsApp call, all of this exists on your phone. So there's absolutely no reason you couldn't get a group of people together online and all go for a walk. So I, I suppose what changed was an opening up a possibility, a uh, willingness on the part of our clients to try things that, that maybe they wouldn't have tried before. And then something that I know that you're really, really interested in is, you know, how do we stay sane? Like, how do we uh, have a work life that stays in balance? And what we wanted to do was to really kind of help people understand that these moments where you get people together to do something together, what we call a workshop, but many people would call a meeting, uh, those can be the moments which are joyful, they're super creative, where actually the relationship between the time you put in and the output you create is massively out of um, correlation. So it's not like you sit down for an hour and you do an hour's work, you could bring a group of people together in a workshop for an hour or two hours or maybe even more and you could solve a problem that could take a team of people months and months to not even get to the solution for because you know that the ability of the hive mind of people working together in a carefully designed way is is extraordinary it's it's really absolutely brilliant to see it happen and i think most people when they experience for themselves they come back at the end of the day and go that was amazing i just couldn't believe that what we did today was even possible. It's interesting you say that because I think the problem with a lot of our meetings in healthcare is they're actually held for the wrong reasons. And I know, you know, if I'm thinking of doctors getting together for a practice meeting or maybe a departmental meeting, it tends to be massive meeting, maybe some departments, 30 consultants there or some practices, you might have, you know, five partners, four salaried doctors, a couple of admin staff, the practice manager, the, the senior nurse, etc. And people just give lots of information. Half the people sit there with their cameras off, eating their lunch, doing their paperwork. And it just feels like a waste of time because it's purely a sort of information giving meeting and people feel they can't interrupt or say anything. And so that sounds very different from that interactive hive mind problem solving thing that you were just talking about. 
Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that we we do in the book is help people to understand what the different forms of meeting are. So the word meeting covers, you know, a, a plethora of different things, but we break it down into meeting, presentation and workshop to, as a way to help people understand what outcome they want to create. So what, what will be happening, I imagine, for a lot of your listeners is they've got a mix of those things happening. So we say that a meeting is where people come together to kind of make decisions, give updates. So that's, you know, you're talking about the practice meetings. A lot of that will be that kind of quick updates meetings. There's presentation. So that's, uh, okay, we've got, maybe it's a new regulation that's come in or something that's been given to you and it has to be disseminated. So that's that form we call presentation. And then the third one where you're solving a problem or creating something new, that for us is a workshop. And what we hope to do is, as people can understand what the different things are, they can understand how to best do each different part. So for example, a lot of that presentation material that could simply be emailed, could be a, a recorded offline video that people watch on their phone. There's no need for people to get together to watch a presentation. If there's a decision, again, a lot of these things could be broken down and done in different forms online. So maybe in a Slack channel or in a Teams group so that you can squeeze down the amount of time where people come together for things that actually aren't super high value or could be done a different way. The huge benefit, I think, for for all of us when you do that is you free up time to do something else. So you reduce the load. Understanding where the edges of the different forms are and kind of being quite clear which one you're doing is actually one of the things that's generally one of the big ahas for people going through our training course or for those people reading the book. I think that is so helpful. I think most of the meetings we have in in healthcare are either meetings or presentations. And I guess part of me is thinking, oh, we just need to completely get rid of them, like you said, have discussions on WhatsApp or maybe more, more official Teams channels or things like that. And presentations, absolutely record it, record a podcast, record a video, just record a slideshow, send it out. Um, but then the other half of me is saying, if you never had meetings to do that, people would literally never interact with each other at all. Because I, I think I could get on the fingers on one hand, the amount of actual proper workshops that you did within a year, say in a GP surgery to try and solve the problems. All the meetings we had were presentations, just an update. There was no time to solve the problems. But actually, like you said, that is where the gold occurs. Presumably that's where the Mm. connections occur, the relationships build up, and that's where the magic happens. Yeah. Tell tell me a little bit, Rachel, about the your experience of those meetings online. Like what did they feel like for you? It's interesting. I think some meetings that I've been in, um, the sort of information giving meetings, you've got lots of people there. A lot of people have their camera on. There's a bit of sort of banter at the beginning between maybe two or three people, everyone else sitting there being a little bit awkward, not quite sure what to do, but everyone's gone, okay, well, we know that it's really important for five minutes to be there so we can connect, but maybe only a few people do and it's all very superficial. And someone comes on, does a presentation, maybe shares some slides and few people people ask for their input then there's deathly silence before one or two brave people put their cameras on offer a bit of opinion there might be a little few little subversive comments in the chat and then the person hosting it thinks oh crumbs I can't I can't go in with time or or whatever and makes a quick decision and, and goes and everyone thinks oh that was a bit of a waste of time and you know what there was Bruce over there in the corner I really want to catch up with him I haven't seen him for ages I wonder how he's doing 
And we didn't get to that thing that we really needed to talk about. So that has been my experience of a lot of the meetings I've been in. Yeah. So, so common. I mean, that's, that's what we hear from, you know, literally hundreds and hundreds of people that we work with. You know, these, they're boring, they drag, people aren't really paying attention. They're doing something else. They're looking for email. You, you get this, also the imbalance of participations. As you say, most people don't participate, but some people will and they may dominate. Interestingly, that's less present online than, than in the room. The, the, the dominant personality appears to be less of a, a thing, but the not really present, not really interacting is, is a really big one. So for me, you know, when these things are run really well, like it's completely different. Like it can be a, an experience that is you know, truly like memorable, like, you know, going to an amazing concert. Like I felt great at that workshop because it was designed really well. We would, we give lots of tips in the book as to how to ensure that people participate. So how to make it easy for them, how to split people into groups, how to share the voice. It's, it's really, really important when we're thinking about inclusivity. How do you make sure that all the voices get heard? Um, and they all get equal input, especially when you're solving problems. One of the interesting things, there's a lot of research that backs this up is that. It's the diversity of opinions that comes up with the new and interesting solutions. So if you get the same old group of, in, in many of my clients, you know, quite senior men, the book giving their opinions, what you're not guessing is the diversity of thought that actually is going to be the key to something genuinely valuable. I think that's such a good point. And that is something I've always wanted. So what would your top tips be for getting everybody's voice heard? When you're brainstorming something or solving a problem, you know, genuinely hearing, hearing people and encouraging people to speak. I mean, there are a lot and, and the book has got a lot of tips for this, but one of the, 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 the simplest I think is, is around how early people speak. So there's a, a, a brilliant writer, Professor Alex Pentland, who wrote a book called Social Physics, really, really interesting. And, and he talks about how the earlier people speak. In a, in a meeting or a workshop, the more likely it is for them to contribute later on. And also, the, he, he manages to correlate the participation, how, how equal is the voice, to how successful is the outcome. Regardless of the topic, the more equal, equal the share of voice between people, the more likely you're going to have a successful outcome. So really, really interesting, really well backed up by research. And this isn't just John's hunch. It's, it's a well-known fact. So an easy way to do that is to design an exercise right at the start of the workshop where everybody gets, even if it's only a few seconds to talk, they all get to talk. So in a, in a meeting of say 10, like your practice meeting you were describing, that's, that's pretty easy. You could have a, a simple question like, you know, what did you have for breakfast or, you know, what, what can you see out of your window? I, I like to steer away from the worky stuff because that comes later. So something that just gets everybody's voice heard. If you've got a, a much bigger group, I mean, one of the huge benefits of online is I could run a workshop of 500 people in a few minutes time if, if we had their email addresses. So of course, 500 people speaking, that's going to take a lot of time, but you can have the same effect by breaking people into groups of 10 and getting them to share their voice in a circle. So there are little tricks which create the, you know, the, the, sense of participation from people early on that then gets them to to contribute so that would be one another one which is again super straightforward which is literally just going around the room 
and, and it's brilliant. So easy to do on Zoom um, or Teams because you see people in an order, their name is written underneath them. It's a lot easier than it might be in a, in a physical room where maybe somebody's standing at the back and you were introduced a few months ago, but you've kind of forgotten whether they're Rachel or Rebecca or something else. So but those, those would be two tips, but, but there are lots of ways that you can get people to, to, to engage. And I think when people come away from meetings and workshops and feel like they have been able to participate and they have learned something or contributed something, that's when they think that was worth my time. I love that. Right. So the first one, the first stop tip is get people to speak really early. So if you're in a smallish group, you can do that. You know, 20 seconds, what can you stay out your window or, you know, what did you have for breakfast? Something like that. Or if it's a really big group, breakout rooms, get them in there, get them to do that just for a couple of minutes and bring them back. How else can you encourage participation? I must say, I'm, I'm learning a lot here because we run a lot of workshops on Zoom and yeah, how you achieve equal participation is, and I think the problem for me is that when people aren't participating, you think that they don't want to, and it's very hard to read their body language. But I think that often they do want to, but they just don't want to be impolite or they don't want to mm. jump in when they're not, or they're not sure how to. I don't know if that's mm. right or not in your experience. Mm. I think it is. And I think the other thing that's happened is that people have just assumed that the way that they're doing things now, that's the way. Right. And I would say, even in, we were with a lot of creative industries as well. So advertising, marketing companies, where they're, their stock in trade is ideas. So of course, this is super important to them because it's what they do. But even in that industry, I would say nine out of 10 companies are still doing very uncreative, boring, non-participatory meetings. It's a sense of like, we're stuck in this world. There's no way out. The reality is all it requires is changing your mind. There's, there's no change to the technology needed. There's nothing that they don't already have. So that's where the coach in me is is kind of crying out to say, you can do better, you can do it. And in, in Curve, our kind of mantra is we are enough. And we mean that as like we as individuals, we're enough to solve our own problems. We as teams and organizations, we can sort out our challenges. And, and we as humanity, I think this is the really exciting one, we as re humanity can solve the challenges, the big challenges we have in front of us, climate change, pandemic, et cetera, et cetera if we can effectively bring our minds together and create that circumstance. So to go back to your question, like other ways to get, get participation in, I think is breaking out of the norms. And one, one which comes up again and again, and I think you referred to it already, is being distracted. And my tip for that is just acknowledge that it's true for you. So one of the things about doing a workshop or a meeting online is you're necessarily doing it on the same device that you do your email and your WhatsApp and your Slack channels and all of this other stuff, which is not only is it there, but remember that these companies have spent literally billions of dollars ensuring that you're distracted by them. So every individual, you, me, anybody else, we're fighting a losing battle. So just acknowledge that up front. And then just give people some tips like, you know, it's helpful if you close all the other browser windows, turn your email off, put your phone on silent or do not disturb. So just giving people tips and not making it feel like it's shameful. We're all being bombarded with things that demand our attention, especially if you're in a busy, high stress job, which many, if not all of your listeners are. So A, acknowledge and then B, 
kind of just make sure that every minute of your meeting in your workshop is valuable. Because if it is, you know, you're not going to get distracted because you're engaged. That's the golden question, isn't it? How do you make sure that every single minute of your workshop is valuable? Yeah. Well, we've got some great resources in the book, of course, also on our website, and I'll, I'll share the link in the, in the show notes. We've got some tools. Um, one of the most powerful tools is uh, what we call the remote workshop planning canvas. So it's a way to, on a single sheet of paper, map out, you know, what's the purpose of your workshop? Like, why do you need to do it? What's the vision for it? So in a perfect world, what will it achieve? It spends time thinking about the participants. Often people don't think about the participants, like how are they feeling? How are they behaving? What are they thinking? Because it's very different to design for a group of people who are rooming with ideas and really want to contribute to a group of people who are really annoyed, drained, resistant to change. So both of those, you can design really great workshops, but you design them very differently. And then it has a, a way to break out the, you know, the outcome that you want to create into a number of different kind of segments. And then below that, for each of those, create exercises. So one of the brilliant things about, you know, running workshops online is there are literally millions of exercises. You just need to type it into Google. You don't need to go on a, an MBA course or uh, buy anything it's it's there it's free so come up with exercises that get you to where to where you want to go to and then probably one of the biggest pitfalls if if pitfall one is you know people don't structure the time very well and like it's okay we're going to get together for a meeting for an hour got a vague idea of the things we want to run through but we haven't really thought about how we balance the time and as you said earlier often you may run out of time because you haven't time boxed it I'm a great believer in the power of constraints to create. There's loads of evidence for this as well. Like, you know, reducing time, reducing resources actually sometimes gives you great outcomes. So I, I would kind of edge or urge people to go a bit less is more in terms of how much time you give to something. So in, in I've seen many, many cases where a problem that people have been trying to solve, if they'd had a two hour meeting and just talks about it they would they wouldn't have got to the solution but you could have an eight minute exercise that's got a set of steps that you go through and you can get to the solution and i think that it often people don't see how much potential there is there in their people and they think that adding more time helps and often it it is the opposite it it slows it down it makes it feel like a drag and and at the end you may not even get to where you need to get to I get it. You're pushed for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole, and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz yeah that that makes a lot of sense as yes if you think you've got sort of 20 minutes to discuss something then you can get someone who starts off in a very long story if you know you've got two minutes if you've got to get to the outcome you're going to get straight down to it aren't you so i think that's really interesting about giving people constraints 
presumably giving people very specific tasks as well is important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a typical workshop for us would have a set different parts to it. So it'll have that welcome and connection. So do the piece that I was speaking about just now of getting everybody's voice into the room. It's not going to be focused on the topic. It's there to create the fertile ground effectively. Then you've got a number of pieces which are like do the work pieces uh, and you can break those down, understand what is it we need to do in section one is come up with a vision. Section two is understand the requirements. Section three is ideate. You know, these are the kinds of things that, that maybe would be in a workshop. And then the final piece would be, you know, how do you close? One of the tips we give is to, to not close with assigning actions. It's, it's typically the way people will close meetings and workshops because it feels like the right thing to do. But often it's, it's an energy drag. It's like, a, oh, and it's like, it can take away that sense of momentum that the, a really great workshop will create. So great. Definitely find places to make sure you know who's doing what, but don't do that as the final piece. What we would recommend is that the people reflect, you know, what, what's the last piece is, how was that? What one thing can I do to, to take this forward? It's something that's uh, anchoring the experience of the workshop as opposed to kind of turning it into the grind work, which typically is also like, oh, I've got already got a thousand things on my to-do list and now I've got another 10. I can see how that would be really helpful. And I, as you're talking throughout, it's really interesting. You you keep talking about workshop, 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 and I'm thinking meeting, meeting, meeting. But actually, it's getting that mindset, I think, of thinking of, of your meetings as workshops. Because if Absolutely. they're not workshops, then why are you having them? Yeah, yeah. And and almost all of these tools, like they work for every meeting. So in in a meeting, you also want people engaged. You also want them to have that energy up. You also want it to contribute to a healthy work life <laughs> so all of these things you know they shouldn't be in my mind reserved for for the special meetings you know you could think about them for every meeting and thinking about curve you know that's what we do our weekly team meetings the first thing we do every week is somebody tries a new exercise it's the very first thing so it's a little bit of a playground for us it helps us to learn. So, you know, it's great. And then we go into the necessary pieces of, you know, so what's on this week and which clients are we working for and what problems have we got? How do we solve them? So we do that. We do a lot of that thinking about how do we shift every meeting to be better? And I tr truly believe if, if humanity could solve the problem of bad meetings, this is like world changing. You know, this isn't a little things, you know, the bane of many people's lives. Yeah, totally. I don't know if you've uh, had a look at the YouTube video about meeting acceptance syndrome. Which no. It's this guy talking about the fact that, you know, you would never let someone come in and steal your laptop or steal your office chair, but we let people come in and steal vast swathes of our time by inviting us to meetings which have no agenda. You don't know why they're there and they're completely pointless. Absolutely. In the <laughs> Absolutely. I saw that about, I saw it ages ago and it really makes me laugh every time I watch it. <laughs> But John, so it's interesting and I wonder if some of my listeners are thinking, okay, well, it's all right for them. They are a creative agency. They work with creatives and all that. But how is this going to work when I'm in my, my local PCN meeting where the PCN director and the manager are trying to engage us all? There's lots of people from different practices and often it's just them giving a bit of information and nobody 
talking when there are loads of issues we really need to discuss. Do you have any go-to exercises that are pretty fail-safe that you find work across the board with people? So the the foundation, I think, for people collaborating well, and, and I guess this is why you would want to bring any of these people together. It's not, you know, it's not a party. It's it's there in the context of your work. You want to get your job done, uh, it, it, whatever that job may be. The foundation for doing that is trust between people. And, and trust, I know, comes from understanding. So I would say, you know, one of the things to do, and it's very, very easy, is to create exercises that generate a even a very small piece of understanding of each other as humans. So an exercise we really love is called Tell, Tell Me More. We put people into pairs, so we pair them off in, in breakout rooms of two on the platform. They'll get a minute each to share, and there's all kinds of prompt questions, but my favorite is just something surprising or interesting about you. So, you know, it gives them a minute each, a very short amount of time. So we've got a little bit of sharing going on between people. That's obviously just one-to-one. And then what we do is we get people to come back and, and just draw the story they heard. And, you know, they typically do that on a post-it note or a scrap of paper by their desk. And then we've, you know, we ask them to, to show it to the screen. So few reasons for that. One is it, it moves the mind out of this. It's black and white. It's text. That's where most people's work lives are, you know, including all of your healthcare professionals where even though they're seeing patients, of course, then the notes are on the computer, the email is on the computer, the presentation is in PowerPoint. So we break out of that language. Super, super powerful, especially if the group has got different um, languages. So if they're not all English native speakers, then actually doing something, drawing is good and it's fun. So that for me is it's, it's done a few things all in one go. It's uh, got a one-to-one connection. So you know that somebody else in the room knows a little bit more about you. It's breaking you out of the kind of heavy workspace. It's done something Again, we give a minute for the drawing. So typically everyone's going to go, I can't draw, I can't draw. And the reality is, yeah, everybody can draw. Like, yeah, they may think they're not great, but we know that we give one minute to draw to a brilliant designer in a creative agency. It's not really any better than you or me. <laughs> so it's That's a great really- minute. <laughs> yeah. That's a great exercise. So that will really help build trust. Your go to exercises for discussing and solving problems and issues there's lots and lots of these exercises there's just so many on the internet so i think that often the the problem solving piece is is that the nub of doing something differently is and getting to a good outcome is getting out of ruts so typically when people are trying to solve a problem they come up with solutions they've tried before you know, it's not new, it's not different, it's kind of known to be problematic. And it, you know, I'm always, it brings to mind that, you know, the definition of crazy being doing the same thing over and over and expecting something different to occur. So we've got a number of tools uh, which help people to see the problems from different perspectives. So one of my favorites is one called Reframe. And actually in the book, we've got a, a, a lot of bonus video content, which is one-to-one conversations with experts in particular fields. And one of those is a, a brilliant philosopher 
called Kareem Benamar, who invented this exercise called Reframe. And it is a relatively straightforward exercise that helps you to see your problem from a different perspective and as a result, come up with new ideas. So that's one, one of many. There's, a, there's another one, which is great, which is literally the, called the five whys. So you define your problem, you write it down, and then it's, why does this exist? Why does that exist? Why does that? And you literally just push it. So what I'd encourage people to do is to think, well, how do I break out of what I ordinarily would think? Maybe that's bringing different people into the workshop who've got a different perspective. Maybe it's using tools that help the same people who've asked the same question before do it in a different way. I love the five whys. They're very, very simple, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Why is that? Okay. Why, why is that? And I think we've mentioned it on the podcast before. And then presumably you just go to each of those whys that you've got and go, well, is there a different solution that you could have for each one of, one of these? Absolutely. And what you say there, Rachel, I think is, is really important to underline, like, you know, that exercise, like so many of them, is really simple. And what we wanted to do in writing Glacier Apart was to kind of give these skills to everybody. So it is really interesting to me as a great parallel to some of your previous um, podcast guests where you're talking about coaching and how everybody can do it. Like everybody can coach each other and coach themselves. You don't have to go on a long training course. And we are doing the same thing with, with how to run great meetings and great workshops. It's not, you don't need magician or some, you know, super expert facilitator like me or my team. Everybody can do this. They can all do it with what they have. They don't need anything probably more than what they already have. Interesting you say that about coaching. And I'd be interested to know what you think about this, because I have heard about, you know, really good meetings being run as a coaching exercise you know what are we trying to achieve here then what's the actual problem and then okay what potential solutions are there and then okay what are we going to do and and doing it like that and it, it, would you advocate that sort of approach as well yeah very much so so you know it's it's not by an accident that curve does two things facilitate and coach teams uh, because we see that they you know they've got huge beneficial overlap with one another the model that we use when we're coaching teams is you know you'll know it very well that most simple grow model. So what's your goal? What's the reality? What are your options? And then what will you do? What's your way forward? So very often the arc of our workshop is designed around that flow. I've just got a few sort of practical questions because I'm, I'm thinking you know, a lot of the, the listeners won't be having these super long workshops. They won't have two hours to do meetings. They'll often have an hour and you've got to probably fit a meeting, a presentation and a workshop in that hour. And I think typically, probably, you just start a meeting with, okay, here's the agenda, here's what we're going to talk about, here's the items, and then you get to the ones for discussion and decision right at the end when people have got two minutes left. And and actually, that was probably the one that was the most important or needed the most interaction. So do you recommend that you sort of mix it up and maybe even start with the, the decision discussion piece at the beginning? Was there any particular yeah. thing that you'd recommend? Yeah, I think so. I think, again, as we said right at the start, understanding what, what's what. So, you know, mm. is it an update? Like, how is that going to be done? Could it be done outside of the meeting? It's always a good question. And then I think you really want to be thinking, well, what's the most important outcome for this meeting? And make sure that that has, you know, it's high up enough on the agenda. Then I, I would say, you know, be, be 
tight with your timings and stick to them. So, you know, we use timers a lot. I think timers are brilliant. People, you know, are very open to being told or asked, <laughs> you know, you've got a minute or two minutes to feedback. And, and then I set a timer on my phone or maybe on the collaboration platform that we're using. And actually it turns out that people who thought they needed 10 minutes, they're brilliant at doing it. And it also means that it's more concise. So be thoughtful about how much time you give something. So be realistic and make sure that you think about what less rather than more. So kind of squeeze the timings, but then help people to stick to them with some timers. So I would do that. And then the other thing that's related, so we haven't really touched on this, but there's a big section in the book on energy. So for me, this is at the heart of how people can mean that they get way more done in a certain amount of time than grinding through. So I'm sure everybody listening has had, you know, moments in which they have powered through work and they've just gotten an unimaginable, unimaginable amount of stuff done. And yet other days where they've kind of looked at their to-do list and they've spent hours and really got nowhere or even felt like the list has got longer. Like I certainly can, can feel that. So just thinking about what do you do to manage people's energy? So if, for example, it's super easy to do, like if we're sitting down as we are now, if I just, you know, ask you to, you know, roll your shoulders, Rachel will do that now and potentially stretch up if our listeners do that and maybe stand up for a moment, you can feel instantaneously a change in your energy and, you know, it's, it's it doesn't require anything. There's a tendency online to stay seated. So encouraging people to stand, maybe even to walk and that maybe it's a 30 second exercise can speed up what comes next. So one of the things to watch out for is I don't think I've got time to run the energizers. That's always the moment to say, oh yes, that's where I need an energizer. We need to do it. We need to do it right now. It's really interesting when, when you think about it. I, th- I think the main problem is that we just don't plan our meetings properly. We think that getting an agenda is what you need. But actually, like I said, and as soon as we get off this call, I'm going to go and look up your canvas that you've got. Because actually, it strikes me just spending two minutes to plan that is going to make things much, much better. But John, I've got a few yes, but questions for you. If you go don't really. You did say, and I do agree with this, could, you know, if there's something that could be done outside the meeting, like, the information given in another, in another way, you should do that. The problem is, what if it's information that people really, really need to know and you don't trust that they're going to look at it outside the meeting? Yeah, well, and, and to yes, but that back, <laughs> of course, if their camera off looking at their email, you still don't know whether they've taken the meet, the, the information in. Uh, I, I think the, the key there to be more positive <laughs> is actually designing a way in which people engage around the content. So, you know, we, we pride ourselves in being a PowerPoint free company. So we don't do slides. So where there's content, we present it in a way that people interact with it. So it either might be kind of a collaborative document where people work on it. There are some brilliant online whiteboards. We love Miro and Mural there too, where you can put information and then people can add digital post-it notes. Uh, So you're giving an exercise rather than, you know, simply just talking at people. I, I think the, the reality is that, you know, for, for adult life, the presentation format from university kind of on into, into work life is, is just pretty bad. So like, how do you find ways to make it better? It's pretty easy, actually. 
death by PowerPoint. And that's really interesting. So actually, yeah, if you never exercise, well, they have to engage with the stuff to do it. That brings me on to my next yes, but, because we talked about getting people's voices heard and getting the voices in the room. And then you said, suggested for the big group to get them into breakout rooms. Well, I'm thinking the worry there for people, if they're trying to make a decision, if they're trying to hear people's voices, I'm thinking of maybe a PCN director who's sitting there that needs to know people's opinions. But if you put them into breakout rooms in smaller groups, how do you then make sure you've heard people's opinions? Because you can't be in all those breakout rooms. Absolutely. And again, that's the huge, that's the huge benefit of online is like you could have a thousand people in breakout rooms, all in groups of four or five. So they've got the opportunity to really have a conversation about whatever it is you've given them. And the way in which you ensure that you're hearing it all is you give them something that they're inputting into. And often, actually, my experience from, you know, I have run thousands of workshops online is in small enough groups, people genuinely do engage in the topic. And the biggest risk is actually that they get sidetracked getting to know more about each other because they're genuinely interested. So again, you can use some of those, well, give them a format to fill in. You know, we love canvases, so boxes to fill in with clear instructions and then timers. So, you know, you've got four minutes to do this and continually nudging through, through the chat. And all of that's really easy to do. Much, much easier than if you brought 200 people into a room because the, the noise alone is, is a, is a huge challenge. Yeah. And when you say small enough groups, how small is too small? How big is too big? Yeah, for breakout groups, I think the sweet spot is uh, four or five. It's it's a really nice uh, group size, especially if you're not having very long exercises, which for us, we typically don't have any exercise that runs beyond 20 minutes. That would be a really long exercise for us, but they're often 10, 15 minutes long. So that gives each person enough space to contribute. I would say in small groups, you can get up to kind of eight, eight-ish, but beyond that point, you're going to have necessarily some people stepping back and then for you know for the bigger pieces of explaining exercises or pre- presenting important information then of course you know you the sky is the limit really in terms of how many people you could have so really using these online collaboration tools and you said myro My and mural two good ones is that right that's right yeah those are two that we love i mean there are so many i, I would i would say that you know one of the, one of the tips we give in the book for technology is keep it as simple as you possibly can. There's, there's often a tendency online to go for something that's shiny and, you know, all bells and whistles. And, and of course, there's going to be uses for many of these things, but especially the kinds of things maybe that you've been talking about where you might have members of the public in, involved or people who, who really aren't that tech savvy, the simpler the tech, the better it's going to be. So we actually run a lot of workshops with simply a shared Google Doc you know, it's it's very very simple, but everybody can type into it, and everybody can see each other's um, inputs. Yeah, and then how important is it to sort of debrief in the main group? If you send people off into their groups, they've written stuff down on a document that you can see. Is it necessary to go around each group and get feedback, or actually, is that just for the benefit of the facilitator rather than the participants? Yeah, I, I think it's it's a really great question, Rachel. I think it depends what what the purpose of the workshop is. So if if you genuinely want everybody's ideas to come together, you're really creating something new. Then yes, you need to get that you know some some level of playback from each of the groups. But that that 
those kind of workshops typically don't go beyond 30 people anyway, because that's a, yeah, the, the biggest group of people that's really coming up with new ideas. If, for example, you want to engage a lot more people and, and really what you're trying to do in that workshop is, or, or that meeting is, enable them to learn or enable them to change their way of thinking about something, then my, my top trick on that is to, to just pick from a few at random. So, you know, just allow everybody to be ready to present, but say, you know, for time reasons, we're only going to ask three. Okay. And that makes sense. Gosh, this is just a wealth of, of hot tips and really useful exercises. And I'm just thinking, you know, are there any things that you really, really would say, actually, that is not suitable for online engagement? That needs to be face-to-face. Don't even go there with that. Yeah, I, I would say no. I mean, I'm really banging this drum of, you know, everything you thought was impossible is possible. Everything you can do in person, you could, you could do. So, you know, eating together, drinking together, chatting together. I mean, there's a limit to kind of like literally hugging together, but you can create a parallel to that in, in an experience. One of the things, Rachel, that I found that a lot of our clients are doing now is they're saying, we really do want to get together, like we're able to get together. And what we want to do when we get together is connect as humans. So we're running quite a few offsites at the moment. So it's one of the things we do a lot of is kind of retreats and offsites for, for businesses and, and, and healthcare organizations, but any group of people that wants to come together. And what they're saying is we're going to do the work content online before we join. And then when we get together, it's all about learning about each other as people. So we, as the facilitators of that are thinking about exercises that deepen understanding that help people understand their different backgrounds and perspectives that deliberately build trust. So I really like that idea of when you do get together, don't spend the time doing the stuff that is better done online, like do that online. And then when you get together, you know, eat, drink, there's a a lovely term, I think, which is congregate. So that idea of people coming together with a shared sense of identity, then that's a, a perfect thing to do when you get together in person. And I love that idea. And it's, I love the way you've put that. It's been something that I've been thinking about for a long time, actually. That's been really helpful because, yeah, I think we waste those moments of congregating. And I, li- I like that. And I've had lots of feedback from our listeners, you know, particularly the ones working on the front line, that even if they are still on the front line, it's still much, much more lonely. It's much more isolating because you're going to see the patients. Then you're coming back into your office and you're sitting on Teams or Zoom. And you're not seeing your colleagues in the same way, apart from maybe there will be a face-to-face meeting where you're just given a presentation and what a waste of time, actually, if that mm-hmm. presentation could be as a video or as an online meeting. And then when you meet face-to-face, that is for that trust building and the getting to know each mm-hmm. other, those ad hoc conversations, which we know are so, so important. And I think that is one mm-hmm. thing that in healthcare, we do not do enough of, and that is team building mm-hmm. and team development. Now, I know mm-hmm. look, I don't like those words, but we're, we're both team coaches, aren't we? We know the importance of building that basic trust, not just as a nice to have, but actually if you build trust, then you can conflict much better in a much better, you know, as Patrick Lencioni says, many, many teams I see in healthcare that they suffer from a lack of conflict and a fear of conflict. That's because the basic trust isn't there. Yeah. So those, those times is building trust, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And just just to touch on those face-to-face building trust, I, I think, again, remember that that will benefit enormously from careful design when you get together in person. Also warrants, you know, investing the time using the workshop planning canvas, thinking about the exercises and working out what you do to to create the conditions for the, for the team you want to have. I, I think as well, I think we are forgetting the importance of just the one-to-one connections as well. The fact that you can just wander to someone's room and, and have a coffee or go for a walk or, or have lunch and things. Now, the final thing I just want to touch on, because I heard this on a Harvard Business Review podcast, I think, fairly recently. And this is this thing you've already mentioned about diversity and inclusion. And you said, Homeworking is great for diversity and inclusion, and I can see that in one way. But interestingly, this podcast was saying it actually can be really bad for diversity and inclusion. And I have certainly seen this, that particularly for women, if you can now do your job from home, there are quite a few women who are now not getting childcare or as much childcare because they can be at home, they don't need it as much, which means they don't go into the office as much which means that after meetings, even if they're online, a lot of people who are in the office go and have their water cooler chats, their chats by the kettle. And then the people that have chosen to be at home because maybe because of a disability or because of childcare issues or it's difficult to get in, are then being excluded from the times where actually the real decisions are being made. And this has disproportionately affected people with children, women, I think people with disabilities. Have you heard that? I have heard that and I, and I think it, you know, assuming that people want the best decisions to be made and they do want as to do that, they want to include everybody who wants to be included. The answer is you have to design that. You don't do it by accident. You don't rely on the corridor chats. That's the way that really has everything stick the way it was, you know, senior old white men making all the decisions. It's easy to design a different way. So do that design. So I, I think. Yes, but there's certainly some some ways in which maybe this is not as good for some people as for others, and and it's easy to design them out. I think the, the problem is where people don't think about it. And I guess the other massive advantage of the online meetings is that they can be recorded, right? So if you're you can't make it to your day off, then then you can actually watch it, and you're not going to miss massive amounts of, of information that was passed Absolutely. Recorded, transcribed. There's actually a tool that will do live translation. So if you've got somebody who's, you know, got a reasonable level of one language, but actually it's much better in a different one, you can get that done live. It's all, it's all possible now. And, and to go back to the collaborative documents, the Google Shared Doc or the, or the whiteboard, uh, a lot of the benefit of that is that people actually record for themselves so not only can you have an audio recording but you know you've got what in a physical room might be you know kind of illegible post-it notes stuck to a whiteboard <laughs> it's like there's nothing illegible when you're typing it no and you know what that made me love the amount of times i've come back with 20 flip chart pieces of paper and i'm like yeah no i'll get this down and get this to you and that never happens because i'm like what did that say no idea you're right you have a, you already have a sort of ready-made documentation so what I'm hearing is actually meetings could be improved just by spending a couple of minutes designing them. There's tools everywhere that you can use and there's exercises that you can use. There's exercises for everything. And even in a busy healthcare environment, even if you've got a short 20 minute meeting, there are still ways that you can improve it. And maybe what we should, we should be thinking more about is when we have the face-to-face interactions, focusing on 
that, that building trust, those, those ad hoc reactions face to face. And so not entirely relying on the online stuff, but making sure you use the right tool for the right job. And I, I love the thing, like you said at the beginning, the aha moment for me is, you know, is it a meeting? Is it a presentation or is it a workshop? And having that idea that most of our meetings actually should be workshops and then the other stuff gets, gets delivered in, in different ways, I think is really helpful. Absolutely. If that's the one aha I'd love people to take away from listening to this, that, that would be it. Brilliant. So we are definitely out of time. I've taken up a lot of your time, John, but it's been really helpful to me. If you were to give people top three tips for getting better online interactions, what would they be? I think number one tip would be like, just think about what you can do with the tools. Uh, I talked about walking earlier. I think it's probably the biggest overlooked tool if if you want to call it that yeah there is nothing to stop any two people getting on a phone call and walking outside it's a a brilliant way to shift energy and to create like ideas so that's my number one tip get on and this can also be done in zoom and teams and hangouts all of these things exist have phone apps too and you can run breakout rooms all of that is possible so walk move get outside The second one is to think about the energy. So one of the things we say in the book is like excitement and fatigue are both contagious. So, you know, that, you know, you could have the yawn that ripples around the room, but at the same time you could get there like, oh, I'm excited. This is something, you know, almost like being at a, at a, at a pop gig. So what do you do to build that energy? So tip one could lead into tip two, because walking is a good way, but short energizers. So something that helps the team to have a clear mind and a good energy. And then the third one, I think, is just about understanding your participants. So no, not just what do you want to get through this? Okay, I'm going to put four things on an agenda. Start with who's coming and what do I want to achieve? And a great way to do that is to use our planning canvas as a, as a framework to, to help you think through in an orderly way. Right. And will you put a link to the planning canvas? Absolutely. That's that's fantastic. And I think, yeah, just to add to that, I now almost exclusively do walking phone calls when I have phone calls with people, unless we've got to record a podcast when I need to get the audio just right or or better. And it does really make things very, very different. I find myself coming with with many, many more ideas. It's it's odd. So Yeah. yeah, recommend that. And actually, I think sometimes you can be more empathetic on the phone when it's just audio than you can seeing people too. Yeah, absolutely. A, a huge number of benefits. I mean, one of the, one of the oft quoted uh, facts is that Steve Jobs had all his meetings walking. And as you know, as an exemplar of somebody who had great ideas and got them out into the world at enormous scale, like he's one of a few. So uh, it, it's, it's also breaking out of that idea that it's in some way not work. Uh, the reality is it both, if you want it to be, it is work and it can be much better work. Yeah, brilliant. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on. That was really, really help- helpful. I'm sure we'll need to get you back again at some point to talk through more hints and tips as the world of hybrid virtual working carries on. Um, if somebody wanted to get hold of you, how can they find out more about you? Get hold of the book. I'll put the link to the Curve website on the show notes, also the link to where the book is on Amazon, or you can look at closeratapartsbook.com. And the best way to connect with me is either through our website or, or probably even better through my LinkedIn. And again, I'll put that 
uh, link in the show notes. Brilliant. So thank you so much for spending the time. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, we provide a self-coaching CPD workbook for every episode. You can sign up for it via the link in the show notes. And if this episode was helpful, then please share it with a friend. Get in touch with any comments or suggestions at hello at youarenotafrog.com. I love to hear from you. And finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate it and leave a review wherever you're listening. It really helps. Bye for now.